You play to win the game. They are who we thought they were. Playoffs? Take that for data. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, David Bethay. So as the Falcons concluded a disappointing 7-9 campaign in 2019, uh, the revelation was revealed in December that they'd be bringing back Dan Quinn for a sixth season. And uh, this ruffled a lot of feathers around the Rise Up Nation, and a lot of the fans expressed their displeasure with the idea that we were committing ourselves to more mediocrity after 7-9 seasons in 2018 and 2019. So even though the Falcons rallied from 1-7 to finish the second half of the season 6-2, and two, um, a lot of people didn't believe that was enough to save Dan Quinn's job, while Arthur Blank hinted at the fact that that was instrumental in Quinn saving his job. So regardless of how you feel, Quinn's back, and he will be returning for the 2020 season, but the question is, should he? So with that said, we're going to present the evidence both for and against Dan Quinn, starting with the evidence for Dan Quinn. So exhibit A in the case for Dan Quinn is the fact that Super Bowl coaches generally get some leash uh, when it comes to subpar seasons. So if you check the description, there's a link to the original article on our title on website. And there's a chart there that visualizes the information we're about to share where we compare Quinn to other coaches that lost a Super Bowl early in their tenure. Uh, that includes John Fox from Carolina and Lovey Smith with Chicago. We also threw in Ron Rivera, who lost Super Bowl in year five with Carolina. And all of these coaches have similar records through their first four, uh, five seasons with similar highs and lows as well. So looking at John Fox, his first year in Carolina, he went 7-9, followed by 11-5, losing the Super Bowl to the New England Patriots, followed by 7-9 in year three, 11-5 in year four, and then 8-8 eight eight in year five. His overall record in his first four, uh, five years was 44-36. and 36, and He was fired at the end of his ninth season in Carolina. Lovey Smith with the Bears went 5-11 and 11 in year one, 11-5 in year two, 13-3 in year three, in which they lost the Super Bowl to the Indianapolis Colts, 7-9 in year four, 9-7 in year five. His overall record in his first five years was 45-35. and 35. He was also fired at the end of his ninth season. Ron Rivera in year one with the Panthers went six and ten. The next year seven and nine. Year three, twelve and four. Year four, seven, eight and one. And then year five was the Cam Newton MVP season in which they went fifteen and one and then lost Super Bowl to the Denver Broncos. And his overall record in his first five years was 47, 31, and 1. And he was actually fired 12 games into the 2019 season, which was also year nine of his time in Carolina. And then Dan Quinn, first year at the Falcons, 8-8, eight eight. second year, 11-5, including the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, year 3, 10-6, which included a loss in the divisional round to the Philadelphia Eagles, who went on to win the Super Bowl. Year 4 and 5, he finished 7-9. His overall record in his first five years was 43-37. and 37. The general rule seems to be that a Super Bowl appearance earns you a cushion per se, of uh, back-to-back subpar seasons. But once the team goes from average or mediocre, you know, seven or eight wins, to legitimately bad, you're out the door. And Lovey Smith was fired in Chicago after going 2-14 and 6-10 and in his last two years. 
John Fox was fired in Carolina after going 8-8 eight and eight and then 2-14 and 14 in his final two seasons. And then Ron Rivera, who was the most recent casualty, was 7-9 and nine and then 5-7 and seven and was fired um, during week 13 of Carolina's 2019 season. And even some of the coaches like Andy Reid, who had nine playoff appearances in 12 years in Philadelphia, including a Super Bowl appearance and four straight NFC Championship games, even that couldn't save him from getting the axe after they went eight and eight and four and 12 in consecutive years. And there's even a few cases of coaches that win Super Bowls getting a short lease. The Green Bay Packers fired Mike McCarthy on the heels of seven consecutive playoff appearances and a Super Bowl victory in 2010. But after a 7-9 season in 2017 and a 4-7 start in 2018, they gave him the ax. And it's just crazy to think that a Super Bowl winning coach who's been a, cons- a consistent playoff performer gets bounced after essentially a season and a half of bad football. One of the exceptions here would be Sean Payton of the New Orleans Saints who somehow managed to survive three consecutive 7-9 campaigns in New Orleans after he had four consecutive playoff berths and a Super Bowl victory in 2009. And an additional note, this is just worth noting, John Fox, when he went to Denver, lost the 2013 Super Bowl, then went 12-4 and in 2014 and got fired after a 12-4 and season. But the Denver Broncos went on to win the Super Bowl in 2015 with Gary Kubiak taking over as head coach. Now, that situation is on the outlier because they had an aging Peyton Manning who was on the verge of retiring. So it kind of changed the timeline for them. But it's just another example worth noting. Exhibit B in Dan Quinn's favor is that he has had playoff success. Um, the Falcons made the playoffs in two of his first three years, going 20-19 and 19 in the regular season and 3-2 and two in the playoffs. And that includes the run to the Super Bowl in 2016 and a divisional round loss to the Eagles in 2017. One of the things people remember from that run is the Falcons' defense shutting down two of the NFL's elite offenses. The Rams, who they played in the wildcard round, had the number one scoring offense in the NFL. And the Eagles, who they played in the divisional round, went on to win the Super Bowl, scoring 41 points on a Bill Belichick defense. The Falcons held those two teams to 28 combined points. So that was reason to believe that given time, Quinn could be a great defensive game planner when it came to playoff football. Exhibit C in Coach Quinn's favor is that he has been able to identify and develop defensive talent at the second and third levels. And working hand-in-hand with General General Manager Thomas Dimitrov, during the last five drafts, the Falcons have had mostly positive results drafting defensive players. Uh, Deion Jones, Ricardo Allen, DeMonte Casey, Keanu Neal, Brian Poole, Devondre Campbell, and Foyer Luakon are all testament to the ability of Quinn and Dimitrov together to scout and develop unknown or undervalued talent at the second and third levels. And in our initial beta podcast, we talked about the entire history of Quinn and Dimitrov's drafts. Now it's actually probably better than a lot of people realize. But you have guys like Neil and Jones that went from draft day reaches to pro bowlers. Casey and Allen were transformed from mid to late round corners to starting quality safeties with KZ tying for the league league and interceptions in 2018. And the verdict stood on 2018 second-round pick Isaiah Oliver, but he showed some promise at the end of last season. In 2019 selection, Kendall Sheffield showed tremendous growth playing out of the slot. 
And so it just gives you reason to believe that the Falcons may have hit on those as well, or at least gotten competent players as well. Now, of course, those successful draft selections have to be balanced against glaring misses like Jalen Collins and Duke Riley, and then even underachievers like Vic Beasley and Tat McKinley. When you take the picture of the Falcons' defensive draft picks as a whole, it's generally very, very positive. Exhibit D in the case for Coach Quinn is the 2017 defense. We've already touched on this a little bit in talking about how good they were in the playoffs that year. But in Quinn's second year in Atlanta, that was the lone season that Atlanta fielded a top 10 defense, number eight in scoring and number nine in yards. And it's also the last time the Falcons ended the season with less than three defensive starters on season-ending IR. Now, it's impossible to predict health, and injuries are part of the game. They're part of the game for every team. But it's not unreasonable to believe that with just average health in the 2020 season, the Falcons could possibly return to having a league average defense. And when you have the weapons that they have on offense, that dramatically increases the potential ceiling for this team. Exhibit E in support of Coach Quinn is that one of the Falcons' subpar seasons, the 2018 season, was largely a result of an injury epidemic of biblical proportions. And yes, 7-9 is an underachieving record, but when you listen to some of these games missed by Falcons starters, it puts season a little bit more in perspective. So Keanu Neal, 15 games missed. Devontae Freeman, 14 games. Andy Levitre, 14 games. Ricardo Allen, 13 games. Brandon Fusco, 9 games. Deion Jones, 9 games. Derek Shelby, 9 games. And while every team experiences injuries and depth is crucial to building a winning roster, only a handful of teams, not named the New England Patriots, could overcome the loss of that many impact starters and still be successful. Exhibit E in support of Coach Quinn is the fact that staff turnover takes time. So it's well documented that Matt Ryan has had a learning curve with offense coordinators and tends to really excel in his second year with them. So his second year under Cal Shanahan led to his MVP season and a Super Bowl appearance with the Falcons. And even his second year with Steve Sarkeesian led to that monster 35-touchdown 4,900-plus yard year, and a new staff would likely bring in Ryan's fourth OC in the last five years, and if you assume the usual two-year learning curve, that team is left hoping that they could still squeeze a few years of championship play out of Matt Ryan at 36, which is possible for quarterback, but also hoping that you can still get elite play out of a 32-year-old Julio Jones on the last year of his contract, which seems much less likely. So a coaching change all but guarantees another year of wasted prime for Matt and Julio. So that's the case for Dan Quinn. Now what about the case against him? Exhibit G, Super Bowl 51. There's really not a lot to say, but when you blow the biggest lead in Super Bowl history, that falls squarely at the feet of the head coach. Let's keep it moving. Exhibit H in the case against Coach Quinn is that the defense hasn't been elite. Um, And Dan Quinn came to Atlanta as arguably the most highly touted defensive mind in the league, following four straight years as the best defense in the NFL in Seattle. And he hasn't had the same success in Atlanta, uh, (laughs) which is quite obvious to say. But the Falcons defense is ranked in the bottom third of the league in four of his five seasons. So not only has he not duplicated that success, the Falcons have been a subpar, below average defense. And Even the Super Bowl run rested on the shoulders of Matt Ryan's MVP season and Kyle Shanahan coordinating a 
top 10 of all time offense. So the defense was not part of the team's success that year. And Quinn took over the defense in 2019, hoping to reestablish that identity and basically had to fire himself after a one and seven start. So the question is, if a defensive coach can't assemble even a league average defense, what exactly is his value? Exhibit I, Quinn hasn't fixed the pass rush. The most damning part of Atlanta's defensive mediocrity during the Quinn era has been Quinn's inability to develop impact pass rushers. And with his background as a defensive line coach, that's something that you would expect to see. Vic Beasley had the 15 and a half sack here in 2016, which appears to be a complete outlier. Tack McKinley has been extremely inconsistent. And Grady Jarrett has really been the only impact player on the defensive front that we've drafted during the Dan Quinn tenure. And after that, Atlanta's best defensive line players have been a bunch of stopgap veterans like Adrian Claiborne, Alan Bailey, and Don Terry Poe. And those aren't guys we're signing long term. They're guys we bring in to play for a year or two, and they're gone. And that has to be easily one of the biggest black marks on Dan Quinn's record here in Atlanta. Exhibit J, the final piece of evidence against Coach Quinn, is the long losing streaks. The Falcons have had losing streaks of six games in 2015, five games in 2018, and six games in 2019. That seems absolutely impossible. (laughs) I mean, the 2015 skid made the Falcons the first team in NFL history to miss the playoffs after a 5-1 start. And in 2018-2019, the Falcons had those long losing streaks and then rallied in the second half, winning some meaningless games to improve their record and ultimately hurt their draft position. And uh, their repeated losing streaks raised some serious questions about Quinn's ability to make in-season course corrections. I understand that we went 6-2 and two in the second half of the year, but how do you lose six games in a row? Why did it take half of the 2019 season to right the ship? And if the Falcons get off to a slow start in 2020, will there be another five- or six-week skid before Quinn can figure it out? A coach that can't fix the problems without losing five or six games is not a coach that you want to have around long-term. So that's it. The evidence is in. What's your verdict? Did the Falcons make the right call? Um, we'd love for you all to interact with us and answer this question with an email at titerunsports at gmail.com or on Twitter at titerunsports. And this is one that the Rise Up family is very divided on. But I also want to pose you a different question. What would it take for you to be satisfied with Dan Quinn after this season? The Falcons are facing one of the most difficult scales in the entire NFL. 8-8 eight and eight is probably a realistic record for them, which, if things fall the right way, could get you a wild card spot this year with the expanded playoffs. My question is, is that enough for you as a Falcons fan, making the playoffs? And if that's not, how far do we have to go in the playoffs for you to be satisfied? Or are you okay if we make it to the second round and then maybe lose to the number one seed or – Do we have to make it to the NFC Championship game for you to be satisfied? Or will you only be satisfied by a Super Bowl victory? Because essentially, if we just go 8-8 or 9-7 and and squeak into the playoffs again, are we really that much better off losing in the first round than we were being out of the playoffs at 7-9? And that's a question a lot of Falcons fans are asking, and the reason why they're saying it would be better off to rebuild than to just be stuck at mediocrity, even if we're a playoff team that's just going to lose in the first round. Now, on the other hand, 
If you believe in what we've done in the draft, you might think that the Falcons are a Super Bowl caliber team going into 2020. If that's the case, we'd like to hear your opinion on that as well. That's it for today. This is Dave Bethay from the Title Run Podcast. Thank you for listening.